Hello, welcome to another recording on the Promotion Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Captain Josh Wells, and I'm really excited to bring a special guest on today. This is part of our series called Stories from the Summit. So if you go back through the recordings um, throughout this path on your promotional test preparation, I've been interviewing people who have been successful with promotional tests or successful in their career so that you can hear uh, some voices other than my own. And so I'm really excited. Our host today is Captain Jim Moss. He's a fire captain paramedic for Metro West Fire Protection District in St. Louis County, Missouri. He's the author of Firefighter Success, and he's the co-author of the number one bestseller, Firefighter Functional Fitness. He wrote that along with Chief Dan Kerrigan. He's um, also a contributor for Fire Engineering Magazine, firefightertoolbox.com, and he's um, constantly speaking at, at conferences such as FDIC, Firehouse, International Society of Fire um, Service Instructors, and many others. So I've been, we, I connected with Jim on Facebook, and um, I've looked at a lot of his stuff. I've read his book, and he's got a ton of great resources that he's contributing to the fire service. So Jim, I'm really, really excited for you to join us. And um, he's going to share his guidance with, with how to be successful in the career um, and how this can uh, apply to your promotional test, not just for the test, but to develop, not just um, for a test, but to develop into being a better firefighter, better leadership, and um, just all around uh, personal growth. So Jim, um, if you want to provide an introduction, thanks for being a guest today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm honored uh, and uh, I'm glad that we can be talking about this important topic of, of helping people succeed with their, their promotional exam. And not only that, but be successful uh, after the promotion, which is even more important in my mind. Uh, but yeah, uh, like you said, I am a 15-year uh, guy, uh, been on the job for 15 years as a firefighter paramedic, the last, uh, I believe, eight have been as a lieutenant and then now captain. And then before that, I was at uh, St. Louis City Fire Department as a paramedic for three years down there. Uh, so been in the fire service for uh, almost 18 years now. Uh, just passionate about helping people succeed, uh, just trying to create uh, leaders. Uh, people want to uh, become a formal leader or informal leader, just trying to create more leaders within the fire service uh, to help them be successful. So that's what I'm passionate about. Oh, good. Did you start off as a paramedic and then get into the fire? You take that path? Yeah, start, yeah started off as an EMT. I was an EMT for two years, went through uh, paramedic schooling my second year as an EMT, uh, then became a, a official paramedic. And then in St. Louis County, all firefighters in St. Louis County are basically paramedics. Um, and so at my fire department, every single firefighter is uh, a paramedic. So we do both. We provide EMS and 80, you know, 80% of our calls are EMS and we transport, we have ambulances. Uh, so, yep. Uh, do both, uh, both firefighter and uh, paramedic. Oh, great. That sounds good. We almost have like ideal background stories, just different parts of the world and <laughs> a little bit different. That's right. Birds, birds of a feather flock together. That's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so let's start off. So the first question I'm going to ask you um, in regards to promotional test and career advancement is what would you like to share with, with someone that's looking to prepare for a test or, or advance their career? Uh, what is what has worked well for you in terms of your promotional test and, and career advancement? Yeah, so I would say the best piece of advice I ever got, and this is from Chief Jason Hovelman, who, who's here in the St. Louis County area, 
Um, but uh, the best advice I ever got, uh, and we can we can focus on game day or the actual test and the promotional process itself when we have to go through the you know the interviews or the tabletops and all those different things we have to do. Right. But the best advice I ever got was that you know focus on the other 364 days of, of the year. Build your credibility, build your reputation, and build respect and trust of your peers, of the company officers that you work under, and of your, your battalion chiefs, everybody. If you do that and you build credibility all along the way, that is going to be more important than actual game day, test day. Of course, test day is important, right? Of course, we need to focus on, on uh, passing the assessment center and doing all that and shining in our interview if we have one. Uh, that's obviously important. But if you focus on the other 364 days of the year, building that credibility that you are going to be a competent officer or engineer or whatever position you're going for, when you step into you know, that assessment center, that interview, and whoever your panel might be, for us, it was, it, it was captains and, and those who are already in that position, chief officers. If you have already built that credibility, that respect and trust with them, how much easier is it going to be for you to shine when you are, are doing that assessment center, that interview? Uh, the other great piece of advice, uh, you only asked for one, but I'm going to give you two. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, uh, no, yeah, more, whatever you have. <laughs> the other thing uh, from uh, a battalion chief of mine um, who used to work on my shift, battalion chief Joe Hafer, the other great uh, piece of advice that I always got, especially for the interview when you have to talk about yourself and what you've done, the best piece of advice I got from him uh, regarding the actual interview was just speak from your body of work. So if you've been doing the right things all along, if you've been um, doing officer roles, if you have been doing the job, just talk about how you've done that. Talk about how you are trustworthy. Talk about how you have found uh, problems, but you've, you've come up with solutions. You've implemented them yourself, right? You didn't have to worry about passing the buck to somebody else, but just speak from your body of work. And if you have the right body of work, you're obviously going to be an attractive candidate for, for that role. So those two things uh, have helped me out a lot. Good. Good. So the first one being credibility, you said focus on the other 364 days out of the year. I guess the opposite of that is don't be a, a jerk and not do anything for the department. <laughs> then all of, a right, sudden, right. all of a sudden put all your eggs in the promotional test and, and not have it work out. Right. And we know those slugs. We know those <laughs> firefighters who, who are all in it for themselves. Those ego driven firefighters who who, you know, 364 days of the year, they're going to be about themselves. They're going to be about, you know, uh, not treating people right with respect. They gossip about gossip and complain about everything. Um, and then when it comes to test time, oh, they're an angel. Are, are they, you know, even if they have all the credentials and certifications and uh, specializations that you can have. Uh, you know, it goes back to what have they done the rest of the year? That That's going to really speak to their credibility and their reputation. Oh, yeah. That's great advice. And that's really a big part of, of my desire, like for me to write the promotion playbook and the people that I've helped has been those people who are great for the position. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes they just, sometimes they need a little help with, with getting through the process. Because um, yeah. like you said, the second piece is, is being able to speak to your body of work. Mm -hmm. And like be yourself and just have the experience and being, being able to present that. 
And I think that's really key because nobody, um, you know, you would hope that nobody would be able to just take shortcuts and somehow cheat their way. Maybe not necessarily cheat, but, you know, like, you know, not, not perform well all, all the year round and then come to test day and suddenly shine and get through mm -hmm. somehow do a hack to the test. And so, right. I think that's great advice because nobody wants to, um, it doesn't do the department any good. And it doesn't do the people any good. If, if they're just in it for themselves and their own ego. Exactly. And, and that might be, that might be hidden for a while, but it always uh, reveals itself within those individuals uh, when they're all about themselves. Uh, they might be able to keep the secret for a little bit, but uh, it will, it will shine through if, if they're all, all about themselves and uh, their, their men and women, their, their crew members are not going to uh, follow them or support them. Uh, if that's the case. Right. Okay, good. And so credibility um, is that, yeah, so that, that would be one of the C's. I'll, I'll probably mention it multiple times, but the Firefighter Success Book is, is a great resource. So if you listen to this and you want to follow up on it, one of Jim's books is the Firefighter Success. And I think those, those 20 um, care, uh, principles, the core principles mm -hmm. are key towards preparing for a promotional test. So I'll mention that multiple yes, times, but you can check out that book on Amazon or you can get it on, um, you've got the website. I actually got a signed copy of the book. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you want a signed copy or our bulk order copies uh, and you, the podcast, there's also free downloads there. So that's firefightersuccessbook.com. So all copies from there uh, come signed. Good, good. Okay, so, so the first one, so that's really helpful, the credibility. And then the other one is being able to speak from your body of work. And I think something that, um, that you mentioned is you said there's two different chiefs that you got guidance from on that. And so I think that would also highlight another one is, is you, one of your C's is being coachable and also yes. reaching out to mentors and having that guidance along the way um, is a key part of, of that preparation. Oh, I mean, that is absolutely critical. I mean, that's everything. I remember when I was going, starting to think towards going towards uh, be, becoming a lieutenant or taking the test. Um, I mean, I just asked everybody who had already been successful with the test because our, our promotional process is four different things. There, there's a written, there's a, uh, a tower scenario or, or where you, you are the lieutenant, you're the officer, company officer leading a crew through a, a mock fire, you know, smoked out building condition. Uh, there is a uh, very intense tabletop exercise where you're actually the incident commander of a large unit, a large thing. And even though you're not going for that battalion chief spot, uh, they still want you to uh, be able to show that you can delegate, you can solve the problem and, and get the resources needed. Uh, and then the last thing is the interview. Uh, so there's for us, there was four different stages and it's it's intense. And, and you, it's, you have to prove yourself through that process, through every step of the way. And man, I tell you what, I going back to being coachable and just trying to uh, find those mentors to, to pour into you. I bothered so many company officers who were successful with that nonstop, just help me do it. You know, we would go through tabletops nonstop uh, where, you know, be on the dry erase board with going through scenario after scenario after scenario. Um, so, you know, that, that goes towards, you know, yes, preparing for the process and, and finding those individuals who've been successful through it. Um, and who are also, you know, on the fire ground on uh, our great company officers too. They know how to delegate, they know how to dissect the problem and solve it. Um, but yeah, I, to your point, 
be coachable and, and find those mentors and, and ask them, bother them non, nonstop on how to be successful through the uh, actual promotional process. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, a, there was a quote from Jim Rohn, the, the past, uh, he wrote a lot of books and a lot of motivational speaker and, and he says, success leaves clues. And so <clears throat> something you mentioned also is like you, you reached out to people that were successful. So mm. one of the distinctions I learned from, from my, my, my growth and progress with promotional testing is that just because someone took a test doesn't mean you should listen to their advice. And right. so you want to reach out to people that have a track record of successful results and right. then reach out to them. <laughs> and right. it, it, it ties into your credibility comment uh, on the first part is like, if, if you don't have the credibility within the department, the, the people that are doing well may not be open to helping you. Like in the fire service, there's kind of this camarader there's a camaraderie that exists, but right. we're all human and we all have our preferences and people don't want to back somebody that's going to get in the position and not do a good job with it. So yeah. if you're, if you're doing your best 364 days out of the year, um, test day should just be a reflection of, of you, hopefully just be a reflection of what you've been giving year round and not just be a facade that you show up and, and kind of hack your way through it. Amen. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. Good. Okay. So we'll get to the next, the next piece of it. So, uh, obviously anybody that's, that's, uh, you know, the opposite end of success is then the, the failure, which nobody likes to talk about. Or, or the things that didn't work. And so is there a, maybe like a big screw up that you had or like a lesson that you kind of learned the hard way on your, your path to promotion? And what, what would that be that you would sh like to share? Yeah, so you actually said something interesting there that I want to touch on first is that you said failure is the opposite of success. But I honestly believe that, and I'm sure uh, you'll agree too, that failures are part of your success, right? So every, we're all going to fail, right? We're all going to make mistakes, especially during the promotional process. And I'll speak about that right now. Uh, but it's what you do with them, right? It's what you do with your failures, your shortcomings, things you would change, right? Um, uh, it's what you do with those that's ultimately going to determine your success. So yes. I'll, I'll talk about, go ahead. It, it might not make the best book title, though, if it's like Firefighter Failure. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I love it. Failure book. <laughs> But, but yeah, absolutely. yeah, I, to I totally agree with you on that. Uh, so uh, I'll talk about, uh, yeah, so my failure. So I tested for lieutenant twice. The first time I went through, and I actually wrote about this in the book. Um, uh, so I went, and like I said before, I went, I practiced, I prepared so much for every single station. Uh, I thought I had all my bases covered. I just, you know, over and over and over again would go through scenarios. Uh, but when it was my turn, turn to go through the tower scenario, when I was leading the crew through a mock fire uh, event, uh, I, I made some very, very uh, critical errors. Um, uh, I, for example, with us, we have our SOG for a first alarm fire. We have a rescue versus a fire attack matrix. And so you have to decide, are you going to, as a first in, first in company, are you going to do fire attack first? Or are you going to rescue first? And that depends on the number of victims, their location, whether it's known, they're known or not, the amount of fire, does the fire prevent uh, their egress and or your access to them and all these different things. Um, so anyway, my first mistake uh, when I was testing as a lieutenant uh, during the tower scenario is that I saw a victim in the window 
And I just went ahead right away and, and told my guys to throw a ladder and rescue them, uh, where that was strike one for me because there were multiple victims within the, the, uh, the building. And we didn't have enough firefighters to do fire tech and rescuing at the same time. Ah. So, uh, so that was strike one for me. I should have just said, hey, stand right there. Make sure your door is closed. There, there will be someone to come rescue you. Uh, that's what I should have done. For, they probably set uh, that up that way intentionally to kind oh, of yeah, pick you they, into it. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. And, and you have to know and you have to live out uh, and work out your, your SOG. You know, you have to know it and, and put it into action. Uh, the second thing is that uh, so once we made it interior, um, I uh, decided to search rooms on the way to the fire when we were the first in fire attack company. Whereas I should have just found the fire right away. And then I can delegate search on the way out after you put out the fire, everything gets better, right? We all know that. Um, so I should have found the fire first, put it out. And then if I had to, we could have searched rooms on the way out, um, on the way back, or delegate that to the next thing company that's assisting us. Uh, and then the third thing is uh, the biggest mistake of all is that I, after doing all these things that I shouldn't have done, strike one, strike two. Well, strike three was me running out of time in the scenario. So I never even got to the fire. I didn't have enough time. They just stopped it. And man, after uh, giving, after giving, you know, I would say, you know, easily a thousand hours of studying preparation of everything, you get to that point and you're just like, well, you're out of time. And you just, you know, I, I remember kneeling down in the, in the tower and my head just hanging over when I heard that. And uh, it was a big blow, you know, and it was a big failure to me. Uh, but I still had it wasn't like I was, um, you know, um, um, saying, OK, you can't do any more of the stations. I still was allowed to do my tabletop. I was still allowed to do my my interview. Um, so I, I made sure, well, with the rest of whatever I can do, I'm still going to try my best. I'm still going to try hard um, and, and I'm still going to try and bounce back from that. Uh, and I would say another mistake I made when I was going through uh, my lieutenant uh, testing my interview the first time is that I was trying to, uh, instead of speaking from my body of work, instead of being uh, confident in, in my abilities, I was like basically memorizing and preparing my interview question response. And people could really tell that, you know, it wasn't authentic. It wasn't genuine. I was just, you know, studying all these answers uh, and there are, there are probably genuine answers of mine that I thought of, of how to answer a question. Uh, but it wasn't like me and you talking right now about these things. It, it was very uh, recited um, and it was very memorized, my responses. So that was a big, big failure, big ding. Uh, I remember getting back from uh, the interview panel afterwards. Well, need, needless to say, I did not get promoted on that first time. I uh, went through my lieutenant's test, but uh, we tested again. Uh, Maybe it was a year later. I can't remember. But every single thing I did wrong, I wrote down and I, I vowed to not make that same mistake again. And uh, it was great because the next interview process, you know, what one of the questions were, uh, it, it was, uh, so you recently tested for lieutenant. Um, is there anything uh, that you've changed? And I was like, yeah, 
you know, I made this mistake. I made this mistake last time I made this mistake. And, you know, I, I obviously did not repeat that mistake. And as you can tell right now, and like I was actually speaking, you know, genuinely right. during the interview, I was like, as you can tell, I'm not, uh, you know, speaking from something I've memorized. I'm just speaking from my body of work and, and what I truly believe as, as a, a lieutenant and how I, I would act as a lieutenant. Um, and so they definitely nodded their head. And I remember I walked out of the room confident. Um, I remember I could hear uh, some the chief, the fire chief who was be- present, just watching everything. Uh, I remember him saying something. I didn't know what it was. And then I heard a big like burst of like laughter and come to find out um, uh, from someone else. He said, well, he basically told everybody, he said, well, I, I, I think we got our next lieutenant. Like, and everybody was in agreement because like, I was so genuine and, and I spoke from my body of work and, and, oh, and I wasn't, I wasn't memorizing things that I yeah. wasn't trying to recite what I memorized. So that's really so important. That's big. And I, I think that's, that brings up a really good point of, of just being willing to talk about your failures. Cause mm, there's kind so of, this, important. there can be this perspective going into a test that, that people are looking for like the perfect candidate. They're like, we got to have the person that has their stuff together. They've never screwed anything up. They've done this. And the reality is, is like, they want, they want a human that that's authentic and willing to like, nobody wants to follow a perfect company or like somebody that thinks they're perfect. (laughs) Cause then they're in denial. I would tell people, you know, think about specific failures you've had, whether it's at the fire department or as a, firefighter um or at in your personal life and be able to be able to speak from that body of work as we've been saying be able to speak from those failures and what you learn from them i mean that's so important because as a brand new officer and even as a seasoned officer you're gonna make mistakes and it comes back to being coachable it comes back to being humble about owning those mistakes and learning from them absolutely i think that's that's such a big point i want to emphasize the importance of that because the, a lot, I think a lot of times people are afraid to share, like to be authentic in an in a interview. They think that yeah. they have to be polished. I mean, you do have to be rehearsed and, and polished on your answers, but at the same time, you have to be authentic and real and human. And part of that is sharing your brokenness in the past mm-hmm. and, and what you've grown from it. Some of the yeah. best, some of the people I've been able to help the most is those that are willing to face their biggest life adversity, whether, whether it's a failed test or a, a, a personal loss or some type of past trauma or, or heartache. And right. when they share that um, with a panel, it creates this connection because even the people on the other side of the interview that are dressed up nice, they have their, their uniforms on and they're, you know, they're, they're doing the process, but underneath it, they're still, they have their, they have their struggles and their heartaches and their stress, and they're all going through life just like all of us. So being able to, to share that authentically. And at the same time, it's something that you have to process because if you just, if the first time you share about a, a, a big personal loss that you had and you don't refine it, then it, it's probably not going to come across very well in the interview, but, but like right. you did, you said, look, I think I, I could feel the, the sinking sensation in your stomach and just that, that, um, that gut wrenching moment when your time ran out during the evolution, oh, like yeah. thousands of hours, your family's counting on it. Your peers are counting on you to be successful. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, <laughs> you hit that. And it's just that moment. Ugh. 
I got plenty yep. of those. <laughs> oh yeah, don't we seems all? like don't we the, all? yeah, the career has plenty of those opportunities to share. To, to and, present and, and that's the thing. It goes back to what you we first discussed with the, this question: is that failure and adversity and struggle and hardship? That's that's what builds resilience. That's what builds, you know, champions. And you're going to need that as a, as an officer or or even as an engineer. Um, you know, you're going to need those things that test you um, and you got to show you got to prove and be able that you can bounce back you can you can deal with that adversity and and overcome it and honestly that's to me that's what makes a person successful is is how they overcome and triumph over adversity absolutely yep and one more point i'll add to that is is that human beings are more motivated by pain than they are by pleasure. So it's good as you share your body of work, you want to share the accolades, you want to share the things you've been successful at, but at the same time, mention the things that maybe didn't come easy for you, or maybe you had to learn the hard way and be like, hey, this body of work, I'm really proud of this body of work because it did, you know, I failed it a few times to get there or because it didn't come easily to me. And and it carries a much more um, emotional impact with both with your motivation, yeah. but also with, with the, the people doing the evaluation. And I think it's, it's critically important uh, to be able to not only know your weaknesses and what they are, uh, but how you've been working on them. Uh, and, and with all of our weaknesses, you know, we're not perfect. We haven't mastered them. Um, but, you know, with my own weaknesses, I know that uh, especially with having three children, uh, you know, I can lack patience, right? You know, I can, I can, I can lack uh, compassion, you know, for, you know, when you, uh, a kid falls down and stubs their toe or whatever, and you're like, oh, okay, you're going to be fine, you know. But, you know, for me, I, I, when I was a paramedic and getting run into the ground in the city, uh, on an ambulance, you know, 15 calls in 12 hours day after day, you know, that, that wears on you. So you can get that compassion fatigue. So, uh, you know, uh, for me, you know, if someone needs our help, if someone uh, calls 911 and they legitimately need our help, you know, it's easy for all of us to be like, yeah, you know, let's go help them. We're going to do a good job and everything. But we all know those, you know, frequent flyers are, are those who may not, uh, uh, you know, be the most uh, respectful, reputable uh, clientele that we respond to. You know, it's hard for us to maintain that compassion because we get that compassion t- fatigue. And that's been one of my weaknesses over, you know, my career is, is trying to maintain, you know, that high, high level of compassion that everybody really deserves and, and re- everybody uh, needs when we respond to them. Right. I, I can totally relate to that. I think it's kind of, I think part of it is the career is because we do so much training to be able to respond to those stressful environments. When you have people with big trauma, maybe life or death situation or, or a high right. stress fire, car accident, whatever, you're kind of trained to prioritize. And then from my experience is, is you're kind of trained mechanically is you tend yeah. to think of as a paramedic, you're like, this person is bleeding out. You just need to patch it up and make sure that the pump keeps working and get into the closest facility. And a lot of times, sometimes you miss that humanity behind it. Right. And you realize that you're treating a human being. And even though you may be able to save their life, they still have this emotional struggle or this stress. Mm-hmm. Or then you bring it home to your kids and they bump their knee or hit their head. And you're just like, yeah, bucket up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had a guy, I, got, I had a guy whose arm was cut off yesterday. He wasn't crying as much as you. No. <laughs> yeah. You're, like, you're in pain. Yeah. But yeah, that's huge is, is keep that compassion. My, my wife is really compassionate person. She's a nurse. And I think we balance each other out well, because 
this, it's almost like if there was a spectrum, it's like she's she overspills with compassion and love and, mm. and she can just pour into people. And it's such a beautiful thing. And, uh, and um, there's pros and cons of both sides of the spectrum, because sometimes sure. there's this, she, she was doing hospice nursing for a while and she'd always come home and just carry this, this heavy feeling of like she cares for people so much. And then I'm on the opposite end of just being kind of like cold and <laughs> linear, mechanical. And uh, so it's a good balance to weigh each other out of like, hey, you know, it's, it's a tough world. So you, you can't, you know, if you're going to suffer every day, there's plenty of opportunity for that. But at right. the same time, you know, expressing love and compassion and empathy is, is extremely like that saying people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care is it, so true to our jobs, but it sometimes yeah. can be challenging. Oh, amen. And, and like you, I have a, a wife who is a nurse. Life, uh, she's been a nurse for 15 plus years and she's very compassionate too. And she, she teaches me about uh, compassion all the time and has helped me to grow in my compassion. Uh, so like, like I said, birds of a feather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's cool. And yeah, it's an interesting combination. The firefighter wife, it's a fire, uh, firefighter and nurse combination yeah. is pretty common i think just because of proximity and and similar mindset and values and things but and it's kind of fun we actually met and you know started uh you know uh, dating or courting whatever you want to call it before i ever thought about uh really becoming a firefighter and uh she was uh and started off in college i was a sophomore she was a freshman and uh she as a freshman she was just starting her bachelor's of nursing uh, oh, cool. But it's funny. We ended up in that uh, cliche of the firefighter and nurse uh, couple. <laughs> yeah. Good. And what, what kind of nurse is she? Uh, well, now she stay at home, but she was a uh, cardiac ICU nurse for a long, long time. Oh, okay. She's not doing it now? Nope, not anymore. So uh, when our third kid came along, she decided, uh, well, we decided that uh, we're just going to stay home. Uh, she's going to focus on the kids while they're, they're young. And uh, who knows if she'll go back. She still has her license, but uh, she uh, she might go back. She might not. But uh, she, the door is open. You know, her foot's in the door. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, you know, because that's one of the big challenges of it is balancing out two different working schedules. And right. both jobs have their moments of being really stressful. So, yeah. so having those two dynamics and then, of course, our healthcare. I won't get into a side tangent, but from our perspective, my wife's perspective as a nurse, the, the, the profession hasn't been trending towards getting better. It's just right. been more workload. There's been hospitals have been overfilled and then you've got the whole COVID situation and all that. So right. Right. That was a, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, that's a bit of a, of a tangent, but that's I like good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we covered the failure and then, so we'll just get down to um, if you were just, if someone were to come up to you, that his, this was a firefighter that had credibility. They, they were hardworking. They had good relationships. They had a good reputation. And they were to ask you what would be like the one or two or, or handful of things that you'd give for advice. It could be one thing or, or maybe a couple of things. Of course, you got a book. You could give them, tell them to read the book. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and come back. Memorize my book <laughs> and you'll, you'll be gold. Yeah. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, besides what we've already talked about with that first question of building your credibility throughout the year, that's so important. Um, also, uh, seeking, you know, mentors and, and speaking uh, from your body of work, if we we're going to, on top of those three things, uh, it would be really, um, so this may not be for the actual promotional process. 
But while you're being mentored, make sure you're the company officer or chief officer that's mentoring you find out how to do all the managerial boring stuff too, to set yourself up for success once you're in the position. So I'm talking about entering training records. If you have to enter stuff in the schedule, um, you know, know all that software that your, your fire department uses, know how to use it, um, know how to uh, prioritize and, and delegate. And uh, so it's not going to be new to you once you're in the role. So it's kind of like figuring out the little things that we don't think about a lot. I mean, we focus on the promotional exam. We focus on that and we have to pass that in order to be become a lieutenant or, or a captain, right? But focus on setting yourself up for success after you've, you've gotten the, the gold badge. Um, and the other part about that is make sure you know the importance of putting your men and women first on your crew. Make sure you know the importance of building relationships of communicating, uh, make sure that, uh, uh, because once you have that credibility, those relationships and trust and communication built with your peers, if you're on the same level, once you promote to that next level, they're gonna follow you no matter what. Uh, if you you know focus on, on treating people with respect and building that, that good rapport and credibility with them. So it may not, that advice may not help you in the actual promotional process, but it's definitely going to help you afterwards. Oh, I think that's, that's great advice. I, I really resonate with learning the small, boring, monotonous. <laughs> right. I, I think that's such a key part of it because you might see like someone that has the result that you want. Like they could look at you and say, like, Hey, he's got the firefighter success book. He's going around it. Maybe they attend FDIC and they're sitting in the audience and you go up there and you're presenting and they're like, man, this guy has got his stuff together. He's speaking, he's got the book, he's got the career. And, but what they don't see is all the stuff leading up to that and everything that leads up to it. And so there's kind of this fantasy that exists with both with the job and like with the profession. And then also that can happen with a promotion is you'd be like, man, once I reach this level of, for me, it was like, if I'm a company officer, you know, I'll, I'll be this, this solid leader. I'll have this stuff together. I'll be, I'll have this command presence, all, all these other traits. And then I get there and I'm like, Oh wait, I brought myself with me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I still got my strengths and weaknesses, but I'm still, I still got a lot to learn. And a lot of the, that stuff is that, that boring, monotonous stuff, like not falling in love with the fantasy, but facing the facts in the reality of, of what the position is, because every goal or every position, or there's always this un, unsexy, boring, monotonous part of this path, like this metaphorical path to your success. And it's a lot of times it sucks. And, and oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I love that analogy of, you know, the success iceberg where you only see you know a little bit of the iceberg above the water but you see all of the things that you've had to do along the way you know an iceberg what it's 90 percent underwater 10 yeah. above water but you, you all these things that you've had to learn and do along the way uh to help you be successful right and that's that's the fire service in a nutshell and what we do right we're proactive we're, we're not reactive so that means we spend 99 percent of our time preparing for the next emerging emergency for training building our knowledge right and only one percent of our time really executing all that training all those skills all that knowledge on those critical incidents uh, that that we think about i mean one percent of a firefighter's time 
is structure fires, right? If you're a structural firefighter, 1% of your, your time on the job is only firefighting, actual firefighting. So there's a lot of other time and calls in there that you're going to have to be prepared for. But, you know, that the high risk, low frequency, as we talk about, you know, you got to prepare for those things. Um, and I, I just want to give one more piece of, of advice besides, uh, you know, the boring stuff that we talked about knowing how to do that. But the other thing is, is know your SOGs, know your policies and oh, procedures yeah. as much as possible. That is only going to help you. Well, it'll help you not without a doubt throughout the promotional process. But once you're in that officer position, the more of a foundation you have uh, in knowing your SOGs and policies and procedures, whatever you want to call them, the more confident and comfortable you're going to be when something random comes up. Or, you know, uh, for, for us, we, we're part of a union, right? We have a collective bargaining agreement. Know that inside and out, right? So you know when your hours are for training. Monday, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, 730 to 2 p.m. Like that's ours technically. Um, so, you know, you're not working outside of your collective bargaining agreement. You're, you're working within it. You're not violating it. Um, and so that's only going to help you uh, with with your crew uh, and with your own confidence and competence. That's great. Yeah, that's huge. So maybe skip out on a movie night and go <laughs> read the MOU or study the policy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. a huge part of preparation. Um, oh, and then of course, I, I definitely resonate with putting your people first and and ultimately it's all about so taking important. care of people and, and um, yeah, that, that's foundational. Yeah, and, and, and we are in the people business, right? We, we respond to people's emergencies. We respond uh, to each other and, and the problems that we have at the fire station. Uh, we are in the people business. We don't make widgets or gadgets or, or produce something, right? We, we are always communicating with somebody. And so that's another thing, as if I can give another piece of advice, yeah. is that you have to be a people person as an officer. Oh, um, that, that's what's going to build your, your credibility and trust with others, those relationships, um, and so if you are not a people person, uh, and again, if you're ego driven, you're all about yourself, but even if you're an introvert, you have to grow, you have to get beyond that. Cause I was a tried and true introvert for a lot of my life. Um, but I had to grow out of that. And obviously, as you can tell, as now as a public speaker, doing these podcasts a lot, um, recording my own podcast, you know, you have to be a people person to be successful in leadership or as a company officer, as a chief officer. Yeah, that's so. That's such a good point to emphasize because I remember early in my career, I had a chief that that um, talked to me about like being a company officer or promoting, and he says, you know, the biggest challenges you're going to face as a company officer is personnel problems. He says mm -hmm. that the stuff that everybody stresses about and prepares for is like you know this big fire or this big multi-casualty incident or right. like those are definitely stressful and definitely something we have to prepare for. But more often than not, the, the stress on the job or the the biggest challenges seem to come from personnel problems. Right. And lack of communication or lack of being able to take care of people and then having to supervise people and working through those challenges. Um, would you agree with that statement? Oh, it, it's so true. It's so true. And, and that it comes back to that, those relationships, right? Yeah. You can, you can have a good relationship. You can even be friends with your team members, subordinates, whatever you want to call them. Um, but you have to be able to know when, okay, it's, it's 
it's uh, adult time, it's company officer time, it's captain time to where when they step out of out of the boundaries, out of the you know policies and procedures that, OK, it's time to remind them this is where we need to be within within the MOU, the CBA or whatever. Uh, you know, rules and regs, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think uh, once you do that, if you've built the right relationship, the right amount of respect and credibility with them, then it's easy for them to be like, okay, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. My bad. Instead of, you know, uh, a company officer, especially a new company officer being scared uh, or fearful to administer, administer discipline right, right. Uh, and that's that's the case a lot you know a new officer being scared to administer discipline but it is critical uh, and you know it will only help you and build uh, you know that accountability that respect and trust that your your men and women have for you if you're willing to to uh, you know use that disciplinary process like it should be used uh, I, sh I will also say that discipline isn't always a formal write-up or a, sus a suspension from duty. You know, it's also a conversation. It's guidance. It's it's correcting whatever the the bad behavior is uh, with that individual, and that doesn't always have to involve a formal write-up or a suspension or you know pay deduction or you know what I mean. Right. It's it's, yeah. it's it's whatever you can do to to correct the the problem. That's discipline. Right. Yeah. I like how you mentioned something about being the adult for the, for the day. And I know uh, Chief, <laughs> yeah. Chief Brunacini had that saying, he said, you, you got to be one of the, um, the designated adult for the That's day. Right. <laughs> and That's it's like, right. <laughs> All right. Time to become the adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, cause people, you know, if people are, are in misalignment with, with policy or procedure, typically they know, they know it. And if they don't, then it's an easier correction. Be like, Hey, this is what the policy says. You got to go change right. your uniform or you got to go shave or you got to go, uh, right. you know, on this call, you, you made this choice. You have to choose. Like a lot of that is just like getting in alignment with them and redirecting that course. It's not right. like, it's not, you don't want to show up and be the company officer that is quick to write people up. That, right. <laughs> I mean, unless it's, there's times when that may be appropriate, but I think for an assessment center, nobody wants to work for the company officer that you're walking on eggshells because, they're just going around playing the whack-a-mole and trying to hit you on the head for, right. <laughs> for stepping out of the line. So exactly. Yeah. No one wants to work for that officer and uh, you know, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And so as company officers, we need to find that balance of, of, of grace and, and correction and discipline because we're not going to be always perfect and following policy all the time. Uh, you know, whether it be, comes to uh, you know some ignorance that we may may have about a policy not knowing it uh so you know tread tread lightly uh but you know also we have the the confidence and courage to administer that discipline when you need to as well right okay so one more thing i just want to add on the people skills is this concept of, of stewardship is you mentioned before knowing the policies maybe really knowing the budgets knowing all the um the budgets, the policies, the procedures, the MOU, the relationships, all this kind of monotonous part and the structure, all the things you need to know for the job. And so sometimes we're called, it's my belief that we're called to be stewards of, of resources. And so in that position, the greatest, if you look at any budget or any department, the greatest asset that, that exists is that of its personnel. Oh, and so yeah. being able to ultimately kind of guide and watch over and, and um, 
help help guide the best crew, the safest crew that, that, that you know that they grow and they develop and do the best on calls is of the utmost importance. And so, I think that's a helpful mindset going into test. Is you can go through a test and maybe have to look up a policy or maybe miss a policy or maybe sure. kind of stumble through an MOU. But if you go in there and and start um, treating people poorly or, or mismanaging your relationship with people. And, and, you know, maybe it's the egotistical person that's constantly trying to, to outshine them or whatever, then right. um, it's not going to go as well as if you're going in really, really ultimately trying to serve, starting with that internal customer service, which every book they give us talks about, we got to take care of our internal customer service, take care of our people first, right. firehood. But in, in, in the reality, it's a mucky, messy world. And so a lot of times it's hard to, to really serve people and have that compassion. So right, I just think uh, it's really important 100%. to emphasize that. Yeah, it's so important. And uh, uh, if I can add on to that is, is that, uh, sorry, just had a wasp fly by me. <laughs> I am outside. <laughs> yes. Um, but if I can add on to that is that, uh, yeah, remember your people. And, uh, you know, we spend all this time and I love the analogy of, you know, we, we have these million plus dollar fire apparatus with all this expensive equipment on and, and uh, I'm not sure if your department has its own maintenance division that does preventative maintenance, you know, every three months, six months, and, and we rotate the tires. We do all this stuff for, to prevent problems from happening, right. For uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, the tire's not going to fall off, that the oil's good and all this stuff. We need to do the same with our people. And, and so that comes back to, you know, with the firefighter success book, I started it with being coachable. Right. But I also ended it with being the coach. So you as the coach, you as the mentor need to make sure that you are helping your people be successful, that you're investing in them, that you're, you have that preventative maintenance program of, of going, you know, training uh, on a daily basis, you know, going over policies and procedures, oh. right. And reminding of those things. Right. So you need to invest in, like you said, you need to invest in that investment. You know, our people are an investment um, and I couldn't agree more with what you said about being stewards, stewards of our equipment, stewards of our firehouses, uh, stewards of our, our personnel as well. Right. Uh, because they're going to come and go. Um, but like we are basically entrusted by our citizens, by our fire department to as company officers um, to to invest in and be stewards of our all those things, our personnel, our equipment. Uh, and our, our stations and fire truck and all those good things. Uh, but that was a great point that you made. Yeah. And I agree with that. The concept of, of maintenance is that you don't show up and get the respect of your crew in one meeting. Even right. though kind of sometimes there's scenarios in, in assessment centers where you're expected, <laughs> kind of expected to show up in one day and be like, Hey, this is right. a great meeting. You got to get it under control and lead this group. It's like a lot of times it's more of a game of, of a daily, weekly, monthly, like if, if you're constantly building that relationship, it's, it's like, a um, kind of like a maintenance schedule. It's like, Hey, you know, if, if you're the company officer that's never connected with your crew, um, right. it's going to be hard to lead them because you, you don't, you may not understand what's going on for them. So investing just, time, investing energy. is really, yeah, important. just like, just like your marriage, just like your, you know, your closest friends, your friendships, it takes an, a daily investment. It's not like you can go all out, you know, uh, uh, one day and be like, okay, the rest of the year, my marriage is good. You know, no, it's, it's that constant, small, 
uh, consistent investment. You know, that's why I wrote about consistency in the book is, is it's so important to be consistent as a company officer to, to make those investments so we can really reap the, the dividends, if you will, uh, with our crew members. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities towards like a bank account. It's like, you're either going to make a deposit of an investment time of quality time, uh, you know, relationship, or you're going to pull out of it. If you're constantly trying to get things out of the relationship, trying right. to push your crew without, you know, giving, not understanding them, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to work well. And that, and that's why servant leadership is just so important. You know, ha- having that humble heart, that servant leadership to where you are, putting your crew first, you're, you're investing in them, or if it's your marriage or whatever, you're, you're consistently, if you're, you're seeking to serve, you're going to get it back, you know, with increased dividends, if you will. Right. So when people know that they're valued, uh, whether it's your spouse or or your crew members, when people know that they're valued and that you're there for them, you know, they know that you are for them uh, and and seeking to serve them. It's, it's only going to come back um, uh, in the long run. So seek first to serve and not be served. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's a great statement. Okay. I so wish now- I could say I came up with it. But, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I wish I could say I lived it. <laughs> I, I do my best, but <laughs> that's right. Some days are just messy and some days I do it great. All right. So that, that's, that's kind of the, the three main um, questions I have for you is we've, We've been going for quite a while, I guess. Um, I wanted just a little bit of time to, to talk about your other book on fitness. Yeah. Or if there's anything you want to add to it. So again, the resources, you listen to this. Um, you can find Jim's book on Amazon, The Firefighter Success, or The Firefighter Functional Movement, or Functional Fitness, right? Firefighter yes. Functional Fitness. Those are both available on Amazon, or you have a separate website for each of them. Mm-hmm. And um, one's great for fitness. The other one's great for all around mindset and preparing. And then if you're preparing, you can get my book, the promotion playbook, and these books will complement each other. Well, and that's um, right. My book's more specific. It adds the mindset, but then it also adds some specific tools for the test. So go ahead, buy all three books. You'll be good to go. Um, do you want to mention anything about the fitness before we bring it to well, a close? I would say, I would say that you as a company officer or an aspiring company officer, uh, part of your credibility is being physically able to do the uh, job, right? Absolutely. And so, and so, if you are an extremely out of shape, deconditioned uh, fire, uh, you know, aspiring fire officer, or you want to lead a crew on the fire ground, you better be able to do the job. And that comes back to your physical fitness, right? You, if you're you're the one, you're a first in uh, fire officer for your crew, right? And you guys. You tell them what to do, but you only last five minutes and you're completely out of breath. How do you think that reflects on your, your credibility with your team members, with your crew members, right? So my only point being, with, as it pertains to fitness, is that you have to be fit for duty, no matter what your role is, you know, probie, five-year firefighter, driver, engineer, whatever you want to call it, uh, company officer, uh, or if you have 30 years on the job, you know, your, your credibility and part of that comes back to being physically fit and able to do the job. So never neglect your fitness there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's such a key point. Cause it's hard to lead people if you don't have the fitness. Right. It's and if you can't a demanding job, and if you can't lead yourself with your own fitness, right. And I'm not saying you have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or Mr. Olympus or, 
or, uh, you know, do an ultra marathon, right? I'm not saying that you have to do those things, right? But you have to be able to do the job, you know, w- within your own capacity. And if you can't, it's only going to reflect poorly on you, right? So make that investment in yourself, lead yourself with your own fitness, with your own wellness, uh, so that you can lead others as well. Excellent. So I did print out, I'm going to tie that in real quick is you've got the four pillars. So that, that book consists of these four pillars of fitness. And then you have the big eight in terms of movement. That's right. But I, w- I wanted to mention these four pillars because they're, they're really important in preparation for a test or even in doing the job, which a lot of firefighters, there's this tendency to think of that. We, I, we constantly have to work harder than everybody and, and push hard. But I think what, one of the biggest, I'll just say them real quick. And then I want to emphasize, um, how helpful they are. So one is physical fitness. Two is recovery and rest, which is really hard for a lot of firefighters to get right. <laughs> right. And, and put it as a priority because in a lot of ways, the profession can kind of condition you opposite of that. And mm-hmm. so recovery and wet rest is so important. If you look at cancer, heart disease, um, diabetes, all these metabolic conditions, there's uh, even the PTSD that's, that's been coming to the surface so much, so much of that can, uh, be made worse through sleep deprivation. So number two, recovery and rest. Number three is hydration, which I fully believe is is foundational towards health and fitness and and longevity. And then number four is nutrition and lifestyle. So I really appreciate how you put those in there because some firefighters, they think chugging energy drinks and like (laughs) in the gym four times a day, like kind of just have this hard nosed mentality, which is really, I appreciate that mentality, but at the same time as I start to get older. I'm like, I need to get a little bit smarter about this, this strategy. I played football back in college and my strategy would be to like eat pizza and drink beer on the weekends and gain weight as a lineman. So I was like the bigger and stronger I can get, the better I'll be. And right. as I age, it's, it's like, Hey, I need to put sleep as more of a priority because for a lot of firefighters on shift, the nights are busy and you don't get sleep at night. It takes a while yep. to recover from not sleeping for 24, sometimes 48 hours. Um, and then of course, hydration is such a big part here in Arizona. It's so dry. It's just, I really think hydration is one of the biggest underlying components to heart disease, arrhythmias, all these chronic conditions. So, oh, so true. And, and we did that very intentionally to have those four pillars, right? Because the, the subtitle, our tagline of, of firefighter functional fitness of the book is, you know, it's focused on firefighter performance and longevity, right? And so we need to make sure that we're not overtraining. We need to make sure that we're doing movements and exercises that are safe, effective, and functional as, as we preach. Um, but yeah, to have those four pillars of physical fitness, which is important, and that's kind of the majority of the book, but we also have to balance that recovery and rest, hydration, and nutrition, right? Those are equally important, if not more important, to the physical fitness pillar and, and promoting longevity. And like you said, preventing, you know, PTSD, preventing cancer, uh, focusing on all, all those things that we need to be preventing because the, the, the stack of cards, the deck of cards is, is it's stacked against us, right? You know, uh, as firefighters, we have so many hazards, so many things that, uh, can, can kill us in numerous ways. Um, but we can control those four things uh, as much as possible, you know, the physical fitness, the recovery and rest, uh, hydration, nutrition. And so if we can do that, uh, we're going to be better off and, and have greater longevity because of it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. That's kind of I've been working on a book project the past like 
probably like three years now, but it, it, it incorporates some of these concepts of just, instead of just focusing on a, a big bench press or a right. squat, like how can, how can we optimize our human performance? And it's all these little subtle things that add up hydration, That's right. your sleep, your recovery, your nutrition is so such a big part of it. So. Yep. Amen. Keep going with that. <laughs> I <like it. laughs> yeah. I plan to post it by the end of the year. It, well, so if going back, I did a whole series on it because I, I did, my goal was, was to do a, a hundred mile ultra marathon and I, I had to do two of those. And I, I finished it this year in January and I attribute that towards these concepts. It wasn't because I went and ran all the time and I neglected everything else in life. Right. It was, it was, I focused on breath. I focused on hydration. I focused on nutrition. And then of course got the functional piece of running. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. It's all about balance. It's all about that comprehensive approach. Yeah. And then, yeah, you look at so many firefighters that get injured and, and anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen that, but there's, I mean, we, we go back into this concept of stewardship and so many of our people end up get taken out. They don't get to finish their career because of right. an injury or they end up getting some type of heart condition or right. cancer happens to so many. And, and so much of that, um, you can reduce, we can reduce our risk of those conditions through our daily choices. Right. Yep. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate you joining. Uh, is there anything else you want to add uh, before we close it out? No, I'll just point people to, uh, you know, if you don't mind the uh, websites, uh, social no, media no. handles and all that stuff. So with firefighter success, it's uh, firefightersuccessbook.com. Like I said before, there's a free PDF download there, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success. Uh, you can also check out my podcast there as well. There's a link to it. Uh, I think we're up to about 64, 65 episodes or so. Um, and then uh, you can get your signed copies from there if you're interested in having me out to do an eight-hour workshop at your fire department where we dissect the book and talk about all the 20 C's. Uh, we can do that. Just contact me. And then with Firefighter Functional Fitness, it is firefighterfunctionalfitness.com. Uh, I got a free download there, the 10 biggest mistakes firefighters make with their fitness. Dan and I also love coming out and doing uh, one day or two day workshops at fire departments. Uh, and those are a lot of fun uh, getting to get sweaty, but also we do lecture. It's not, not working out the entire time. So, uh, but those are quite popular and people like those a lot. Uh, social media. Uh, firefighter success is at firefighter success uh, that's on instagram facebook twitter and then firefighter functional fitness is at firefighter f fit and that's facebook twitter and instagram as well thanks for having me on excellent yeah thank you so much jim and thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next one thanks josh yeah thanks jim